for all NBA for all NBA warriors. You are now tuned into Golden Spaces with Matt and Justin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Golden Spaces, an Odyssey original podcast. Today we have a guest. So it is Natalie, but Justin is not here. But don't worry, I brought in the man, the myth, the legend, Charlie Cummings, one of my favorite, favorite people to follow on Twitter, an up and coming but amazing writer, covers the dubs. He has one of the coolest handles on Twitter, Claytheus. I want to get this correct. It's Claytheus. And then what's the numbers that follow it, Charlie? 11. Gotta have the sticks in there. Uh, see, I'm a, like, of course it's Claytheus 11. Um, if you're a real <laughs> Warriors fan, you understand why it's 11. So Claytheus 11 um, on Twitter and just a great basketball man. He does these great threads on Twitter that I love to follow. Really, really um, helps me to better understand the game. So I couldn't think of like a better guest to help fill in today with me for Justin. I'm so happy to have you on, Charlie. Um, if you want to find his work, you can find it at Swish Theory. Um, he's also a fellow podcaster. So I'll let Charlie tell you more about himself. But thank you. Thank you, Charlie, so much. And welcome to the show. Man, what an intro. And uh, you're not kidding. I got big shoes to fill, literally and figuratively, with Justin. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like you said, catch the most of my work at Claytheist 11. Uh, I also do my own show at the Game 6 Clay Pod. Shout out to my guys, Matt and Gotham. Uh, I love rocking with those dudes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just super stoked to be here. <laughs> Well, I am super stoked to have you. Justin is too. He's actually quite a little disappointed that he's missing this. Um, We're all in different time zones right now. Typically, Justin and I are both in the East Coast, but Justin is on the West Coast right now temporarily, briefly, like for a little trip. Um, I'm on the East Coast and um, Charlie is on Mountain Time, right? Is it Mountain Time? That's correct. So, like, we got a little, we got our um, signals crossed a little bit with the time zone. So, he's really disappointed not to be here with you, but... I will do my best to hold down the fort. So, Charlie, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself because you're based in Denver or Colorado, rather. I shouldn't say I assume and know the city. But um, how did you become, like, are you a Clay Thompson fan, Warriors fans? How did, how did you become to follow the Warriors? And is there any connection to the team in terms of, like, Bay Area, like, being from there or anything like that? Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised around there, like south of the city, uh, around the Menlo Park area. Um, I never, I never grew up in a big sports household. You know, it was always my dad didn't really care. My mom was super into baseball, so that's kind of what we watched. And um, my friends were all big Warriors fans, and so I finally got into it. Uh, I want to say around 2011. Like I have vivid memories of that beautiful Harrison Barnes tank. <laughs> that's kind of where it all got started and I think I really just quickly fell in love with the game like there's just so much available for you to see um one of the favorite things my friend uh Laro uh at Laro Hoops everyone's got to check him out uh but he says that basketball is like trying to drink a waterfall <laughs> you just like never trying to understand it there's always yeah. always more than you'll never know and it just fascinated me and so I think really around when the like pandemic started I 
was like, you know what, might as well just go for it and try to, you know, get get into this writing game. And it's worked out really well. You know, I just I have so much fun trying to learn about this team and having other people learn along with me. And it helps you meet a lot of great people. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Have you um because I've never played and I'm very open about that. I don't think you need to have played to cover basketball, but I kind of get double whammies, especially as a woman. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're a woman. Oh, you never played. What do you know? I mean, I don't get that yeah. like, from everyone, but there's still some of that out there. But I think in general, when you haven't played, there's sometimes this uh, notion like, what are you doing? I, I'm, we've evolved past that as a society, but we still get that. So like, have you ever played, even if not, like, you know, like I always say, like Justin played, it, everyone doesn't have to play, play professionally, but my best friend played basketball. A lot of people around me are hoopers, even though I didn't actually hoop. So I'm always yeah. curious about people who hooped versus who didn't. Yeah, well, we all know Justin's out there. He's posting his highlights every week. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. Does an eighth grade basketball championship count of as a valid playing experience? Of course it does. <laughs> I love that. It's more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I talk my shit and I never, ever besides maybe in gym, picked up a basketball. I'm Jamaican, so we're, we're track people in my family. We loved watching basketball, but, like, Jamaica's about track and field, and so that's really the sports that we did. And I was a cheerleader. Someone tried to tell me cheerleading isn't a sport. I'm like, it absolutely is. But anyway, rude. Rude! <laughs> yeah, oh, come on. I, I see a cheerleader doing anything and I'm like, I don't have the coordination. I don't have like the core strength, the jumping skills. Like, uh-uh. I cheered for basketball though. Like in my school, we had basketball cheerleaders and football cheerleaders. I never did football. And then the one year they like decided to like get rid of having two different squads and like combined it. And I quit after two games. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just cannot share for football. So I ended up not yeah. sharing that last year. But yeah, I just, I've always been a big basketball fan. And so I don't know. I can't tell you why, but I've just always loved it. And I'm so happy that I get to have a profession talking about it and covering it. Um, and I always admire people who write because I'm a lawyer by training. And so while I can write more of like, you know, academic not even academic, but business writing, you know, legal writing. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely like not a creative writer and I've hated writing even when I was a lawyer. So I admire people who write like that is just an incredible skill to have. And so I just look forward to your journey and you continuing on with <laughs> it because you're great. No, seriously. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a lot of fun being able to tap into something that you really just genuinely enjoy and you know, I, I have so many memories of as a kid, just like, you know, sitting down and like stealing my mom's laptop and just like writing a bunch of stuff on Word that was just nonsense. And <laughs> now, now, you know, to actually have people be like reading my nonsense and looking forward to it. I'm just like, man, this is, <laughs> this is very dope. But he's being humble. It's not nonsense. He's excellent. <laughs> Um, one of the things I like about Charlie in general, because I consider myself always to be a student of the game since I didn't play, is um, the way he breaks things down in a very, like, common sense way. You know, like some people, like, they're great, but it's just, like, over my head. But he really 
makes it easy for me to understand things. And if, like, again, if you're, if you're not following Charlie already, you should be, especially on Twitter, because he does these great breakdowns and he like takes pieces of the game, like from each game and he'll do these threads and kind of let you know like what's happening. And they're really informative. So thank you for the great content. And now I think we can get started so they can hear that wonderful brain of yours. Um, <laughs> last night, the Doves get a victory in Cleveland, down all of their key guys, not all of them, but four, four of the key guys. Um, let me start here. Were you surprised by that win? I mean, I think the lesson that we've learned so far this season is whatever your expectations are, they're probably wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> in hindsight, it's not surprising at all. But when I was watching it in real time, I'm just like, man, this just feels so weird. Like usually, usually the Warriors are the team that are kind of, you know, beating themselves. And right. you know, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from how they performed last night, but it just felt like, you know, Cleveland was kind of stumbling over things. They didn't look like the confident team and the Warriors were just, they were firing offensively. I mean, yeah. taking what 43s, making over half of them, like they, they really brought it. And especially like you said, on a night where they're down their key contributors, it was, it was huge to come out with some energy early and, you know, even leading after the first quarter to me was surprising. I was like, Hey, that's a moral victory right there. And then they just kept piling on and piling on. So yeah, I love to see it. And you especially love to see Jonathan Kaminga back Jamichael Green's back and he looked pretty good. Uh, Ty Jerome just balling whenever he's called on so we're gonna get to that but you're you're a big Ty Jerome guy um Mm -hmm. they had a lot of energy and intensity last night something by the way that we love to have on golden spaces we often do like a vibe check and see what the vibes are and even if (laughs) the golden state warriors are not giving us immaculate vibes Justin and I always have the vibes so um hope you have vibes for today Charlie um (laughs) but you know I wish I would have said this because people are gonna be like yeah sure and that but I really did think they were gonna win the game um but we didn't record after the Boston game and we're gonna get into Boston guys in the next segment but we didn't record after the Boston game because I was up in Boston um covering the game so by that time afterwards, it's kind of late. So we, we, and when they have back to back, sometimes we don't record after the first game we'll record after the second game. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I thought they were going to win. I was like, you know, before this road trip, Justin and I, well, Justin definitely is out of the prediction game because we've been just (laughs) off this season. Um, but we were like, look, the goal should be to just come out with a winning road, like record, you know, so three and two, um, four and one would be ideal. And it could have been four and one because they really should have won in Boston. They should have gotten that Boston game or some fans will say they should have, should have beat in Chicago. But I, like, I actually felt like the Boston game was the one they should have won because Chicago mm-hmm. just kind of came out with more intensity energy. They just seemed to really want that game more, which I, it's not that I don't think the Warriors want it, but you know, it was still like the first couple of games back from injury for people. So but I, I, Boston, they just had in control, right? And they sort of let it go. And so um, I, I do think they should have been four and one, but whatever, they're three and two. And like, that was the goal. Like, you just want to start winning more games on the road than you lose. Mm-hmm. And they did this road trip and 
I mean, you got to say Cleveland is the most impressive one, right? To, to do that, being down Steph, Dre, Clay, and Andrew Wiggins, like you got to give them credit. So um, I don't know. I, I think I just, I just had a feeling. And I remember even last season, and this team is very different, but the baby dubs had a tendency of like, showing up for games and they'd won a couple or they would keep it competitive and keep it close. And I sort of feel like Jordan is starting to really finally get into rhythm for the season. Um, You know, I knew Ty Jerome was going to want to like show out. Mm -hmm. They were getting Kaminga back. Um, No matter your feelings on Jermichael, they were getting him back too. So I I thought there was a chance and I knew Cleveland was going to likely be down Donovan Mitchell um, they haven't been playing that well lately. So I just thought that they had a, a chance and I kind of felt like they were going to sneak away with the win. And they did somehow. Well, you thought right. And hey, Justin called it too. I saw him like right after they dropped the injury report. He's like, they're going to win by five. <laughs> <laughs> he had it down. Exact. Okay. <laughs> he had it down. Yep. Maybe he should get back in the prediction game. Um, but. No, like you said, being down all the contributors, like all the key ones is huge. But one guy sticking through our Iron Man, Kavon Looney, he's just like the way that this the way that he can sort of like mold what he needs to do on the floor. And especially against a team like Cleveland, where you know you're dealing with Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Kevin Love, like yeah. they got size. And this the I think the most surprising thing for me was that Golden State pretty handily won the battle on the boards last night. And that's almost entirely because of Kavon. I mean, you know, 17 boards is no joke, but the way he's just able to like tip the ball free to, he's so smart about knowing, hey, you know, I can win this battle so I can go for this board or, hey, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage. Let me just try to bat it out and, you know, let let Dante get involved, let Jonathan Kuminga get involved, like let all these other guys sort of crash the glass from a secondary point and help clean up these defensive possessions because we've seen them lose in the second chance game a lot. And that was easily a way that Cleveland could have turned it last night. So shout out to him for really controlling that because it's so huge having a guy that you can depend on every night to just control his aspects of the game. You know, he's not going to play outside of what he wants to do. He's within himself and he's just, He's just rock solid. It's so awesome to see. And uh, with with Jordan, too, I mean, I think one of the bigger questions for his career is consistency. Like, how can he contribute on a night-to-night basis? And he has just been on an absolute tear. I mean, over his last, over his last 12 games, he's got 11 20-point games. Yeah. Like, that. <laughs> that, that is not the player that we saw early in the season. And... No, it wasn't. And I think, I I don't think the fan base was being that fair to Jordan. And I'm not saying that like he wasn't making mistakes and didn't have to clean up things. But I think, I think people really, um, what's the right word? Maybe it was just wishful thinking. Maybe they just really want to move on past it. And the team doesn't talk about it much, but I don't think people really understood the gravity of like the Draymond situation and any lingering impact that that would have had. Um, and then I don't, I don't know that people really appreciate like what it's like to kind of be yo-yoed around in the in the lineups, you know, meaning like you're starting, you're going to the bench, your your role is different in the beginning of the season. 
they were trying to have him be much more of a facilitator and set people up, you know, um, when Wiseman was on the court. And I don't think that's his natural game, you know, Jordan's Mm -hmm. a scorer. Um, I think he's like a slightly above average playmaker. I don't think he's that great at it yet. And I don't know if he will become that, but I, I just think like, He's being asked to do a lot. He's still a young player. He's still learning. So there's just so many things. Um, and also who they had out there on the court with him, you know, like asking right. him to move that unit, you know. So um, I'm so proud of him. And I like, I just still see so much potential in him. I, I think the thing too, I mean, obviously we've beat to death the struggles of the bench and asking him to carry that unit is a lot, but you know, when you, t- when you hear guys like, you know, some of the more legendary six men, like the Jamal Crawfords, Lou Williams, Monte Ginobili's, they say so much of that is mental because, you know, you're sitting on the bench for the first five, six minutes and you're just watching and collecting data and seeing, okay, this is how they're playing this action. This is what they're trying to do offensively, defensively. Like you can kind of pick up some parts of the game. And then so by the time they check in, like they know how to attack, they know exactly where to go. Um, and I don't think it's a knock on Jordan to say he's not there yet. You know, that's, that's something that really comes with time. Time, yeah. And when he's in the starting lineup and it's his job to bring the energy right from the start, he's a different player. And that's, you know, part of that is a credit to how much better this Warriors starting lineup is and that they can just, you know, like on the nights when Clay rests and they can just throw Jordan in there and it doesn't really feel like they lose much a step at all that's a huge credit to Jordan because he comes out, he plays hard and it really helps him carry that momentum forward. Like he's so much better when he starts because he can just come out and attack right from the jump. Um, And especially recently, I mean, we've seen him, I think he was kind of struggling to find um, sort of like the process early in the year offensively. You know, you could see possessions where it kind of felt like, yeah, he, he. I think he kind of decided he was going to take a mid-range jumper before he even started this drive. Right. You know, and now he's now he's seeing. Okay, I started this drive. I got a good angle. Time to get to the rim. Like right. he's he's being a little more reactive and a little more creative. And even though it's not translating to that playmaking, like you said, I mean, the scoring has just been so much better because he's getting to the line. He's getting to the cup. And it just helps raise his floor, you know, like when the shot from deep isn't falling, he can still get you, you know, 18, 20 points because he's just generating more consistent offense now. Absolutely. Um, And I asked him about that. I spent almost like two weeks recently in the Bay and I asked him about like his approach, like when he's starting versus being on the bench. And he, he spoke to that, like just kind of the differences Um, in that and like you know you kind of get a feel for the game more quickly when you start than you know when you're coming off the bench and so you know I hope that kind of put to rest or helped to shed light on the theory that um, Dub's Twitter seems to have like he doesn't want to play his best when he comes off the bench versus starting because it's just so silly to me Um, such a silly narrative Um, and they really give him a hard time but um, I think he's coming along great and I'm seeing the improvements and I couldn't be happier. Yeah. And I think on, you know, as the overall engagement sort of rises, you've seen him be more active defensively. Like he's, 
I, I think the lap, you know, there have been so many defensive lapses throughout the year, but he's starting to cut back on those. He's starting to, you know, provide some more helpful on-ball reps, um, and especially in help. You know, like, I love seeing when he can, like, identify a play, and, you know, he's like, oh, this guy's in the post, you know, I'm in the corner. All right, he just looked off my man. Time to dive inside and, like, go yeah. for the strip. And those are the plays that he really does need to make because we've seen a lot of guys on this team. It's it's not the worst thing in the world if you're not going to be, you know, Gary Payton, Dante, Iggy at the point of attack. But if you can make impact elsewhere, you know, like help with cleaning up the glass, help make some good rotations, um, just don't be the guy who breaks the defense off the ball because, you know, you missed a cutter or like you rotated late and now this guy's over a screen and you got to go under like it's the little things like that that I think he's really improving on so if you can go from being like a complete liability to just sort of a manageable part of a defense especially with the pieces that they have around him uh, I think you're gonna see a lot more confidence from him going forward on the defensive end of the floor agreed didn't I tell y'all Charlie so great this sounds like a really good time for us to break. I want to talk about the game some more and kind of actually dig into some of the players who really stood out last night. So let's break here and then we can come back and talk about that. Um, you're tuned in to Golden Spaces, an Odyssey original podcast today. Charlie and Matt, we will be right back. <laughs> You are now tuned into Golden Spaces with Matt and Justin. What up, what up? We're back. It's Golden Spaces, an Odyssey original pod, an Odyssey original podcast. Look at me. Um, I'm so used to saying with Justin and Nat, and that is the typical host, but we have a special co-host today, Charlie Cummings. You need to go back and listen to the first segment if you didn't catch it to hear everything about him. But he's great, and I'm so happy he's joining me today. Um, we've been chopping it up about this uh, Cleveland Cavaliers game last night that the Warriors matched up with. They won by five. Apparently, Justin predicted that. See, you got profits on this uh, uh, podcast. So um, great, great game. Really fun game. The Warriors brought intensity last night. They had energy. Um, they were just really focused. They wanted it. You can tell they wanted it to win it. And so great game. And so many different players contributed to it. So many different players. And so we spent a lot of time already talking about Jordan Poole in the first segment. But he, I would say, if you're looking at, like, everyone's contributions, obviously he was the number one um, just in terms mm -hmm. of everything that he did best 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 player last night but let's get into some of the other guys who really helped in that victory um let's start with ty jerome i know he's someone who you're very big on you think now i want to know if i understand this cor correctly do you believe i know you ultimately believed he may get signed but is that this year do you think he should get that final roster spot or are you just saying like in general um i think this year like he should be the guy that they convert. And I think that's for a couple reasons. One, we've seen, 
you know, I, I know that Steve Kerr really relies on Anthony Lamb as a rotation guy, but we've seen Patrick Baldwin make some contributions. You know, Jermichael Green is back, and, you know, they're not all one-to-one -one comparable players, but I think you have more depth at the forward spots now that you're comfortable with. And I think just having, like, that fifth guard that can come in take offensive responsibility. He can legitimately generate for himself and for others. And he still holds up defensively. Like he's, I'm he's like a really him. strong. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm like him. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows uh, who tunes into the show regularly. I'm not a fan of his, um, but you did a great thread on him and some of his defensive lapses. Um, and I'd like you after we're done with, 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 um, Ty to talk a little bit about how he hurts the team defensively because I think people just see his offense every night but I think it would be like yeah. a really good like education experience I'm sorry I interrupted you but let's, let's, <laughs> no, let's of course. no always always good to link up with a fellow Anthony Lamb disrespecter um but <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> so I think the thing with Ty that makes like talking about last night, you know, the guy comes in and plays 40 minutes after basically just playing spot minutes in the last few games. Like he got a couple DNPs, you know, he's not the more consistent rotation player, but the fact right. that he can just come in and be that ready and look that prepared is so huge. Like he can just make so many big shots. Um, the thing that's so crazy to me too, is like, he has his athletic limitations, you know, he's not the Jordan Poole type where he can just make one or two dribble moves and go right downhill, but it doesn't matter because his floater is so good. I know. Like, it's like automatic now, you know, it's like that floater's going up. He's probably making it. There was, there was one last night. I think it was like in the third quarter where he goes, he goes for like a turnaround, like around the elbow and he just shot it with one hand. Like, he just completely drops his guide hand and just shoots the floater and cans it from, like, 16, 17 feet. And I'm just like, man, you can't, you can't teach touch like that, and you can't let players that have that kind of skill get away from you so easily. You know? Yeah. Like, I, um, when I was in the Bay, like, I went, I got to go to Warriors practice, and at the end, he was shooting around with stuff. And I think that, is actually telling that he's the player, you know, shooting with Steph, you know, at the end of practice. Um, probably bodes well for him, <laughs> you know, like obviously just like you're learning from the best, but also that like they're doing that together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the guy is, the guy is just a shooting and kind of touch talent that they haven't had in a long time. You know, obviously minutes play a factor here in the total attempts, but he's still sitting on 50, 40, 90 for the season. Like that's just so much efficiency. Um, and you consider like, I feel like More reliable who, than people like Brad Wanamaker and um, evil Steph, right? <laughs> evil Steph. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't want to say, I don't want to say anything about evil Steph. Cause he might pull up on me. <laughs> like he's known to. <laughs> Really? Uh, Do you want to let the people know who we're talking about when we say evil stuff in case anyone doesn't know? <laughs> oh, man. But, um, yeah, I think, like, when you look at, you know, like, a two-way contract is not the guys you expect to contribute heavily. 
So when you can find a real roster player out of one of those spots, then that's huge. And speaking of those two ways, um, with, you know, the whole Anthony Lamb thing is frustrating for so many reasons. Like I, I know I don't have to tell you about all the off the court stuff. I would hope that we've discussed it on here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's disappointing for the organization, but Sorry. yeah, beyond all that, um, you know, I think, I think I've tried to make it pretty clear. Like when I go through my analysis, I try to be objective as possible about all of these players. Um, and good I'm very you. deliberate. That's going to make you a good writer and journalist. Cause I don't really care about objectivity, but <laughs> I mean, I do to an extent, but I don't like, nah. Get, get that man off the squad, but go ahead. This is this is why I have people like you to balance me out. And Justin, you guys are much more fair than me. Well, and see, that's where I have, there can always be like exceptions to the rule, you know? And to me, you know, I'm like, if I have any sort of platform, I'm not going to use it to promote this guy in any exactly. positive way. So, you know, when I see him, like, I, I try to, you know, clip everything that I find relevant, and especially for each individual player. Um, but if he makes a good play, you're not going to see it on my page. No. Like, that's just not, that's not how I'm going to operate. And beyond all that off the court stuff, he's just incredibly frustrating to watch. Uh, I think, you know, we've seen the offensive contributions here and there, you know, he can make some threes when they ask for it. But it's just so reckless defensively. Like we saw, you know, especially in that Wizards game, like when Steph had to chew him out for the second time, he just ran. Which he did not seem to be receptive to. No, no. And okay, I'm sorry. I I, I was floored by that, but go ahead. I forget if it was you or Justin I was talking about. I was like, yeah, if Steph talks to you, step one, shut up and listen. And there was no step two. Like you listen to him. And especially because that was the second instance, like early in the first quarter, you know, they try to run like a screen action with Porzingis and he's just, you know, grabbing a handful of Jersey and like pushing the guy and then they call it. And then, you know, like in the third, fourth, whenever it was, he does it again and Steph gets furious. And then also Um, because Steve coach called you out two games before that, then Draymond Green called you out the game before that as well. So you have Draymond Green, the best defensive player of this generation. You have your coach. And now you have Steph Curry on the court, which is a very rare thing for Steph to do. I mean, just the fucking audacity, yo. Like, I'm, I'm like. I know. Man, it's... This man. I, we said last episode or maybe two episodes ago that we were not going to talk about him again. But I, I think what I really want you to help answer, because I think you'd probably be able to better explain it than me, is what is it about him? Because let's 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 take away the off the court stuff for a moment. Why is it that people think that he's the better two way guy and he's the one who should get signed? Why do they think he has so much value when in reality he doesn't? So I think that's where you sort of see the divide of, um, you know, I love like I love so many people who just have like the ability to like look at the game and. You know, I don't expect everyone to go like crazy in depth on it. So I don't fault people when they kind of just look at the box score and see, oh, he had 12 points and, you know, he was like a plus seven. So he must have done something right. Um, But it's the things like between the lines that don't show up on the box score that get really bad. And 
I think you saw, you know, after um, after that Boston game, my guy, Joe Varai, who's just like the goat of ba- yep. breaking down these warriors. Yeah, I've, um, I've, I've had Joe on the legacy podcast of this on that two times. Like, yeah. love talking to him. Great, great. He's Follow amazing. Joe, read his work. Yeah, at Joe Varai NBA. If you're not yeah. following him already, you've made a mistake. But uh, he broke down that, like, the Warriors have such a problem. And it's really a league-wide problem with overhelping, but they do it a lot. And that's the thing for me is, like, you see, you know, like, I, I hear people say, like, oh, he plays with so much energy defensively. But if you don't direct that energy to the right ways, like, then you're not being productive. That's like Pat Beverly. I mean, it's like all these guys, I, and I get it because he's actually won defensive awards. So people may not get it, but there, there are these Dillon Brooks. There, there are some of these players who are like known for being great defenders, and a lot of times they're not actually playing good defense, and they're they're fouling all the time. Um, but they growl and make noise, and I don't know, <laughs> look like they're fucking doing something when they're not. <laughs> no, I agree, and like, uh, I think with a guy like Lamb. When he, especially that play that Draymond called out um, where they had the charge overturned uh, down at the end of that Wizards game, uh, they said so explicitly after the game, they're like, there's one guy on this team who is allowed to help off the strong side corner. And that's it, Draymond, and, no one else. And Yeah, and so even though he does get in and he makes the rotation and he takes a charge, like um, – it's not about the result. It's about like the process that he completely abandoned a shooter in the corner, just trying to intercept this drive. And I think that's sort of the microcosm of him on defense because he takes these incredibly risky gambles, like trying to make the big play. And he usually doesn't, and it burns them a lot. Can you explain why Draymond is the only person who should be allowed to do that and why? Yeah, so, I mean, just as a basic principle, like, if a guy is driving and you have a shooter stationed in the corner, you want that help coming from the weak side because it's a much tougher pass to make across the court to the other corner. So, typically, if Draymond's the guy in that strong corner, he's the one who's kind of allowed to have a little freedom because not only he's incredible with his positioning and with his rotations – but he's also smart enough to like conserve his momentum so he can, you know, like sort of dig the drive a bit and then still get back out to the corner and contest the shot. So that's why they trust him to do that. His wingspan because... is also um, <laughs> much more than, than Anthony Lamb. So like the contest is going to yeah. be better <laughs> than yours, even if you do get back over there. But like, it's even, it's even the purpose, you know, where like Draymond, has some possessions where, you know, he's stationed sort of in between the rim and the corner yep. and the driver comes in and he just takes two steps inwards, knowing that's going to trigger the pass back out to the corner, but he's already anticipated that. So he's already going back out to the right. corner because right. he knows exactly what he did. Exactly. Lamb, Lamb does not do that. He's just running in to stop the driver and then the pass gets made and he's like, oh shit, I got to go back out to the corner. And it's and it's yeah, exactly. And I think you've seen, like, he can have some solid on-ball defensive reps, but I think that's the thing that, that that's the thing that I think points more to the, the, the state of this roster right now is the mistakes that he makes would get him pulled by Steve Kerr so quickly 
if they had any other option. Like, Kerr must just be so fed up watching him take unnecessary fouls, like make bad turnovers, like the same things that got Moses Moody benched and have kept him benched for a long time. But Moses can't, you know, play a small ball four. So here they are. Even as egregious as his, I don't feel like they are. No, I don't think they are as egregious. You know, he's still a sophomore player. You know, he makes mistakes and. You know, I understand when people say, hey, like, Lamb's not, you know, that much older than him. Um, but it, it just comes down to the position. Like, if you switched it and, you know, Moses was, like, six foot seven and can kind of play the four, he'd be getting all the minutes. It's purely just Positional. what is happening with this roster and the depth. I would prefer Kerr than use PBJ. Then I, I really would. I guess mm-hmm. I – I cannot get it with Anthony Lamb. And I say that because I don't think PBJ's mistakes would be any worse than Lamb's. And at least you have like an actual legit shooter because I think Lamb shooting is fake. I think you have a legit shooter. You have a bigger body. I just, I, I, I detest this, this, this player being on the team. Um, And so like, I think one of the important things though, just to like wrap up this Lamb conversation, because it's more than I want to talk about him. Um, so when people are just like, but, you know, he's doing all this other stuff on offense, right? Because I've heard people brought up, like, Jordan Poole, and I'm I'm just floored because it's like Anthony Lamb is in no way giving you what, what Jordan is, like, from an offensive standpoint. Mm-hmm. So please, let's stop that. And when I always say he's going to give up anything he gives you on offense because it's like – between the fouls and the negative plays, like many times when he comes on the floor, the other team goes on runs, right? So that, like, that's what it is. It's like all of his mistakes, even if you don't always see it in the form of, oh, he fouled someone, it's because of all the defensive mistakes he makes, that other team can like just go on a run and get back in the game. And that has a lot to do with him being out there on the court. Right. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up PBJ too, because I think – you know, when you look at a guy like him, uh, especially when you're almost always playing the four, um, you know, his job is not to, like, contain guys. Like, he can he can do some pretty solid, like, all right, I've got the mismatch. Um, this guard's trying to take me to the hoop. But I know where my help is, so I'm just going to, like, steer him the right direction. And that's the right play. You know, like, it's not his job to shut people down. It's his job to not get killed when he's switching. and when he's off the ball, you know, he's able to make some impact rotations. Like he can come over and block shots. He can get himself in the passing lanes, uh, especially with the G League team. He's shown himself to be like a pretty impact rebounder for a four. So I think when you look at that, um, the value of a guy who plays within himself and knows what he is, but is still able to make some impact because he can provide a couple rotations and, you know, finish off possessions which is something that this team has struggled with all year yeah i think that's a there's, there's a lot of value there like defensively and oh, then on the offensive end of the floor, coach's son high IQ player yeah coach's son like you said like he's he's really smart um i think you know you've you've probably seen it being around the team like he's such a quiet determined guy <laughs> like uh it really cracked me up last night like i think it was the I don't know if I've ever seen him tweet before, 
Um, yes, it was, yeah, it was, Andre even commented. I don't know if you saw Andre's reply to him. He's yeah. like, it was a great tweet complimenting Ty Jerome for his floaters. Exactly. Um, but you know, I think he's got that quiet determination then on the offensive floor. You know, like one of the one of the things that does consistently work when they try to like run things with with Lamb is when you have like guards set those pin in screens in the corner and you can just get a wide open corner three because, you know, they're usually assuming, oh, the ball's going to go to Steph or right. to pool. So they cut inside, they set a quick screen, he shoots the three. That exact play could be run so well for Patrick Baldwin Jr. Exactly. And that's the only thing. Yeah. I want. That's probably what he's best at, just that catch and shoot three in the corner um, because anytime he attempts to like create for himself, <laughs> or or take someone like one on one like I'm just like what are you doing right now this is it and it always ends in disaster like like ninety percent of the time uh, um. yeah well well with guys like him too I think what's important is you know he's not going to be the guy where they're like yeah you know Pat run this pick and roll like Pat take this guy in isolation but when you're that good of a shooter you need to be able to identify like how to attack a certain closeout. And either when you force like a tight closeout or some guy goes way over a screen or you have the really long closeouts, you need to pick those spots to like get downhill. And he's got, he's got good touch. So he can, you know, he can attack the tilted defense. Like he can take advantage of rotations and that's the guy they need him to be. So that's. And my point is that he would be smart enough to know not to do those things. Right. It's, it's not even so matter of like, does he have the ability, but it's like, he'll know, like, I should not try to do this. <laughs> and, like, that, that's right. where, like, your IQ matters so much. And, well, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I'm trying not to be. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's so cool, too, seeing the IQ out of a rookie. Like, he's a young yeah. guy, and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to say he sort of played himself into being one of the prospects that they feel better about. Um, you know, I think we've seen Jordan Poole, like they've paid him. He's going to be here. Jonathan Kaminga, we know he brings some unreal defense and he's really starting to find sort of his groove offensively. But Baldwin just looks like a guy that they could really, really use. And especially considering the state of this roster, you know, I don't want to delve too deep into however many timelines there may be, but when things are like when this roster is so expensive and, you know, unless you make some really poor decisions in the off season, it's going to stay that way. Yeah. So you need guys who are not only like controllable, but cheap. Yeah. So if you're looking at Patrick Baldwin and you're like, Hey, he can contribute down the stretch. And then for the next three years, we're still able to have him on the roster for like a pretty reasonable rate. That's, that's something you really need to explore because even if, even if you think lamb can offer some of the same things he does, lamb is on a two way. He's not signed for next year and you didn't just draft him in the first round. So I think there's some sort of impetus to see what you have in PBJ right now, as opposed to waiting and seeing, okay, let's, you know, kind of yo-yo him around the G league and then we'll see if he can compete for a spot next year. Like, no, I think you got to let him roll now and, you know, give him 10, 12 minutes a night. I was going to say, I would like to see him continue to get spot minutes throughout the rest of this season. And, um, you know, just speaking of 
people like the reason why like I my my ears I mean I'm listening to you but like they really perked up when you said like you kind of showed you know because I felt like Moses Moody showed that last year and I felt like there was so much more excitement around him um and I don't just mean from fans but I mean also from like the organization and it just it just feels like he's taken a step back this year and I don't think he's lost his ability but I don't I don't, you know, Justin and I talk about this often. I worry about how much like this has now gotten into his psyche because when he's out there playing, yeah, it looks like he's playing not to make a mistake, you know. And like you would have loved to see last night be the type of game where like he steps up and shows a little bit more what he was could do. Um, and it just didn't happen. And I just I just worry because I do think he is a talent. Yeah, I think the thing too is uh uh one of my favorite terms that comes from all the draft people have uh interacted with is academy brain like they talk about guys who come out of you know moses was at montverde like he was at one of the top schools uh going into his time at arkansas but so many of the guys that go through those academies um they're conditioned to make the right pass but not always the risky one and so you see guys like him sort of be a little conservative with their playmaking and then I think you saw when he actually tried to like play a little outside of it, you know, it was struggles. Like he was making bad turnovers, but this team couldn't afford to let him play out those mistakes. And I think he's, he's sort of where the rubber meets the road with this whole two timelines thing, because I think him more than anyone just needs to be out there playing through those mistakes and that's how his development would work. But at the same time, you know, can Golden State go out and give him 15, 20 minutes a night to play through these things and see if there's a player in there? Because. Well, then send him back to the G League, too. I mean, I'm not even trying right. to be funny because at this point, he's just sitting on the bench, you know? And how is that helping him? Yeah, I think that, or, you know, I think it makes him a really obvious. Him trade candidate yeah I don't I don't want to trade Moses Moody I don't but it's just like you're really hurting his growth I do I feel that I feel bad for him yeah I do too because you know you want to see a guy like him out there having some of a leash and you know being able to do all these things but you know at the same time what we've seen so far and you know the reason why I brought up what PBJ does where it's like hey he can make a lot of shots he can maybe attack a closeout now and then he can get you some boards um Moses is kind of in that, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, where like the shooting's good at times, but sometimes it's not there. And, you know, he can kind of make some plays, but, you know, it's a little here and there. He's not a huge impact rebounder. Um, the defense is, it's a little tough, you know, because he's a little too slow footed to deal with those quicker guards. Um, and, I think figuring out, you know, how to play up defensively, like especially on bigger wings is something that takes time. And that just comes back to, they don't have the time to give him. And like, that's not, that's not a huge knock on Moses. And I don't think it's a huge knock on the coaching staff either, because, you know, if you're Steve Kerr, there are only so many sort of like variables that you want on a given night. So if you're like thinking, I don't really know what we're going to get from Moses tonight if we play him, then I understand why he's, you know, been sitting on the bench. And that goes back to, yeah, like 
find a trade for him where you can bring in someone you can trust to contribute right now and maybe for the future or, you know, put him in the G League a little bit, let him get some confidence back, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so that's, you know, that's sort of where I set out from him. Like, I like him as a player. I think he's got a future in the league, but I just don't know that Golden State has the sort of opportunity to give him right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, it's a good time to break, but before we do, um, just any anyone else that you think needs to be shouted out from last night? We talked about Loon a little bit and what he did in the game. Um, we got into great detail on Jordan and Tide. Um, and we even spoke about Lamb, not to praise him, but I know people will still think he did a lot last night. So we got to that. Jermichael Green. Thoughts on him last night? I mean, he showed, you know, he can still he can still hit a three now and then. He can impact the glass. Um, I like his cutting. Like, that's sort of the one thing that I think really works in this offense is he's really good at finding those soft spots in the defense, um, getting behind into, like, the dunker spot or, you know, moving baseline out of the corners. Uh, I love seeing that. And Dante DiVincenzo as well. He's... There's not enough that about him. Yeah, no, he really, he really impacted, um, especially in that third quarter. Like, I wanted to bring that up too. Like, I think they were up five at halftime, and Dante was a huge catalyst. Where um, I wanted to look back and check because I was like, I'm not sure if it was like this crazy, but uh, the first eleven possessions of the second half, Warriors go three for three on twos, five of six on threes. And they only turned it over once. Oh my god! And Cleveland, Cleveland turned it over four times in those first eleven because of Dante. Like he was everywhere. He was just harassing Darius Garland. Like he was breaking things up in the passing lanes. Yeah. He got out in transition too. And he's just the kind of player they need. You know, someone who really holds up at the point of attack. Uh, can make some real impact defensive plays his shot looks great. He can do some playmaking stuff. So man, like that, that was really just such a great pickup they made. And, you know, as much as people have harped on the ones that got away in free agency, like they really nailed that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that conversation anyway. Um, <laughs> Kaminga, um, like was, he was solid. Um, looked like someone coming back from injury, but you, you definitely, Kaminga to me is like, he belongs in the playoff rotation. He's like that eighth guy. So um, I don't really have much on him. I did want to just go back to Jermichael though, really quickly. Um, I've been sort of out on Jermichael and I'm not saying like last night made me like a believer in him, but I did think that was one of the other reasons. I don't think I said this specifically why I thought the Warriors could win this game. Cause I, I felt like it was like a lot of the younger guys, but it also was enough, like, more veteran players, if you consider Dante that, and Jamichael, um, where the Cavs are good, but they're still young. Like, they're, they're still mm-hmm. – they're, they're not yet at that pinnacle of, like, you know, like, Darius Garland's a great young guard, but he still has things. So, like, Jamichael Green has enough, like, experience that he could take advantage of that, I think, in a way that – maybe he wouldn't be able to against a more experienced team. So I think it, it, it boded well for them that the second night of the back-to-back, if it was going to be a team, was a team that was sort of struggling and younger, where, like, 
you can still maybe take some advantage of some things that they're just not as great at yet. Yeah, for sure. You you love to have a veteran guy in when you're playing those teams that, you know, Cleveland is so loaded on talent. But like you said, you know, so many of their players are really coming into their own. And especially with Donovan Mitchell out, you know, he's still, I don't know, 26, 25. I don't know how old anyone is anymore, but uh, he's so consistent. And so when you take that out of the lineup, like this team – they struggled to find that identity and the Warriors found it right away. So that that's really what won them the game is having that experience and having an exact plan for what they were going to do. And they didn't panic when Cleveland made their runs. So yeah, it was, it was huge having a guy like that in, you know, I'm not, it's going to take a lot for me to be fully back in on him as like a potential yeah, contributor, but yeah. <laughs> but he yeah. did what he needed to do last night. And if he keeps doing that, then Maybe he could get me back on his side, but I'm not there either. <laughs> Look, Charlie and I agree on a lot. Um, you're tuned into Golden Spaces, an Odyssey original podcast. It's Charlie. Charlie coming. <laughs> and Nat, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> You are now tuned into Golden Spaces with Matt and Justin. We're back. It's Golden Spaces. It's Natalie and Charlie Cummings, special guest. Follow him, at Claytheus11. It will not disappoint. He will not disappoint. And read his writing. (laughs) You'll be better for it. You'll be smarter for it. Um, A reminder to Dub Nation. Today is the last day of all-star voting. Um, I think this is the first year we're only going to have one all-star. I think it's going to be the first year we're only going to have one all-star. And that's largely due to record. It's largely due to record, Mm. but it is what it is. Um, I really feel bad that Andrew went down when he did, because I think he would have had a strong case to be an all-star. And would have just really, I mean, if the finals didn't shut people up, um, you know, I mean, the way he was playing at the end of the season, there's no way you could say that he didn't deserve to be in the all-star conversation. So, um, vote guys. Today's the last day to vote. We know Stefan's going to make it, but still just vote, vote, vote last day. All right. So the road trip has ended. The Warriors played the Celtics in a game. I must say they were pretty mad about that. They lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say the 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 last two minute report maybe validated some of their anger a little bit because they're they're just a, an egregious of, amount of missed calls that all would have went the Warriors' way. Um, but nonetheless, right? Like you don't put yourself in the position to have the refs deciding the game, right? And I thought in particular some of Steph's decision-making when he came back in in the fourth, like just the shot selection. And yes, I know he's Steph Curry. Y'all know I'm the biggest Steph Curry person. Um, so I'm never going to get on here and say he's trash and all of this nonsense, but just um, settling for a lot of threes. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, a, cu- a couple of times this year, 
he's talked about like going for the hero shot and things like that. So I didn't know if it was some of that. Um, speaking to some people around the team, they were like, some of it's fatigue. Like, not that Steph has said that, but they're just like, look, he played what, like 40 minutes or like whatever it was. Um, he's still, you know, I think people got to remember he's still at that point was only what, five, six games back, five yeah. games back from injury. Um, and so, and I'm not saying it from the standpoint of like, oh, he's still too injured to be playing, but like it's a, even for the, who I consider the best conditioned athlete in the NBA, like it still takes time to get back to that level and into game shape, you know? Um, and someone had also pointed out to me that they thought maybe he maybe rested a little too long on the bench. So he went cold. Mm -hmm. Um, people who are much closer to the team and have like way more knowledge than we <laughs> I thought those were like really good points. And so I'm curious what you thought when you were watching him in that fourth quarter. Yeah. One thing touching on that too, like there were so many calls that went against the Warriors, but in general too, like, you know, to, just to give some credit to Boston, like I'm, I'm not the kind of person who's going to be like, you don't, you don't ever chalk it up to refs. Like, yeah, agree. When, when you have that many chances to win a game and you don't, it's on you. Like if you start blaming other people, then you're going to completely lose the narrative here. Um, but yeah, like that, that call uh, on the Wiggins three where he goes to the line in overtime, I don't think that should have happened. Um, I couldn't believe that they overturned that call where they said it was clear and conclusive that the ball. Yeah, it was, I, like, I still didn't see it. Yeah, and, and that's thing. Both teams got bad calls. I really wasn't caught up in the refs, to be honest. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's just, you know, that sort of stuff. Like, I, I, I like to think that, you know, our, like, Tim Donaghy days are gone. Like, you know, there is no, oh, they're out to get us. They're doing this and that. Like, bad officiating is just bad officiating, you know, like it cuts both ways. So, um, I, I do think, think that really... game was poorly officiated, but I will say the refs do have a thing with the warriors. Um, now, oh, yeah. and you know, <laughs> not that it would make them like, but th there is a thing with them. And look, we know the warriors have also antagonized the refs where it started first. I don't know, but People who know people who know people who know refs, but um, they have a th they don't like them. You know, they they don't like the Warriors, and that includes Steph. So when people always say like Steph is the most beloved, they don't like him. You know, so mm -hmm. there's definitely a thing with the refs and the Warriors that's not made up. But do I think it's like costing them games? No, I don't. Yeah, uh, they haven't they haven't forgotten the mouth guard throw, but um, so <laughs> I. I think, too, like, down at the end, like, yeah, what you said about Steph's shot selection, like, you know, going down to that last possession, obviously, there's so many things leading up to that where that should not have been a tie game. They should not have been in that position. But, you know, you get Al Horford on the switch. You're Steph Curry. You don't need to just, like, dribble into the fadeaway three. Like, you can attack. He had the time to attack. Um, and also taking that shot, you know, like, it gave Boston an opportunity towards the end. Um, and then once you get to overtime, you know, they kind of just come out and get punched Multiple in the mouth in a row. Yeah. And, you know, I think that speaks to the mentality. Like when you, 
have this game in control and then you let it slip to overtime, it always feels like the team coming back is going to win because they have all the momentum. And that was the case. Um, but, you know, we're we're more than halfway through the season. So now's not the time for moral victories. You just want victories. But it does speak to how good this team is. Like, even without Kuminga, without Clay, like, they... I feel like it was um, one of their better I mean, losses. Sorry, not without Clay, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like when you're when you're still missing major contributors, and you're able to hang with one of, if not the best team in the league right now, all the way down the wire. Like you really controlled the game for a lot of those parts. Um, that just it just speaks to how good this team is, and when they're fully engaged, when they're locked in. Um, especially in the defensive end of the floor, but when they're able to get into their offensive flow so easily against a team that's that good on defense, um, it, it it's a good feeling. Like it, uh, you know. Now, I mean, now we've played Boston twice, beat them once, and came as close as you can get to beating them a second time. So that I think goes to show, um, sort of my guiding principle with this team is. If Steph, Clay, and Draymond are out there, I don't bet. Like you never bet against them. <laughs> like no, if those don't. three, if those three are out there, you have a chance in every single game, no matter how good the other team is. So I just don't have the confidence in a team beating them four times out of a series. I just don't. Um, it's definitely not in the West. I tell you that much. Um, you know. So I, I was in Boston for the game and, you know, one of the reasons I said the Warriors were really pissed about that loss, I didn't know the reasons they were upset. Like if it was just like a damn, we let it go. You know, I, I later learned from the plus minus podcast, like they were pissed about like some of the fat, like they, like there were like, I think a couple calls on Jordan that they just thought were like clear fouls or just bad calls yeah. and, and so they were pissed about that so I didn't know the reason but I knew they were pissed because none of them came out to do post game so they only they only did you know except for Kerr everyone talks from the locker room and I don't have right. locker room access so I took my behind over to the Celtics um, <laughs> <laughs> which I was going to do anyway I it just depended on who the Warriors were going to bring out and I was like trying to time it so I could like go you know over to the Celtics um, post game press room, but it was actually interesting to me because I, I, I asked Al Horford about, um, you know, just like approach to this game with all the storylines that we create in the media rematch, uh, you know, all the shit that getting revenge. And so he politely told me like, I I don't really kind of listen or read or care what you guys say. It was funny though, the way he said it. Um, But Mm -hmm. then he went on to talk about how much he wanted this game and it was important and how upset he was that he missed the first game. Um, And so like, it meant a lot. And clearly um, Jalen Brown came back and I'm not, I'm not saying that like he wasn't ready to come back, but like, I don't know if they were not playing the Warriors that night, if that would have been his return game. Um, so Jason Tatum played 48 minutes <laughs> of an overtime game. Both teams had very short rotations, very short mm-hmm. rotations. Both teams played their guys extensive minutes um both teams wanted it and 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 the from the coach to Tatum 
to Al all commented about like how good the Warriors are. They got a lot of questions about what is it about the Warriors that forces you guys to have to be so creative in terms of, you know, what you do out there. Um, so look, these two teams know each other. They respect each other. Um, if this can be a thing, I really do think it's like one of their best losses of the season. And mm-hmm. this is the thing I'm going to reveal that I'm like, I might get killed for this, but I'm never rooting against the Warriors. So I never want them to lose a game. But there was a part of me that was like, I would prefer almost in a way if Boston got this game. And I was like, it comes at a really not ideal time because we need to stack up wins. <laughs> but I don't know. Call me like really um, superstitious. But in 2016, we beat the war the, the Cavs both times that year. <laughs> and the Warriors were on a roll and they just looked unbeatable. And I didn't want it to be in the Warriors' heads that they just, like, own the Celtics. The Celtics haven't won a mm-hmm. game since, like, game four. And no matter what, even though you say you take it seriously, you prepare, like, when you just keep beating a team like that over and over and over again, sometimes it can make you just not prepare the way yeah. that you should. And so I didn't want them to lose. And maybe I just wanted it to be a really close tough game and then the Warriors could have got the outcome and I would have still been okay with that but I was somewhat okay with going into that game if the Celtics won it I love to (laughs) I've seen you before like um I respect so much that you put it out there where you're like hey like I'm a Warriors girl through and through but I have my soft spot for Boston and like you know you're an east coast person so like (laughs) I do (laughs) dude like totally valid and you know I feel like so many people get so caught up in that. Like I see so many random things where I'm like, you know, people just randomly being like, Oh, we, the league can never let Jason Tatum win a championship. And I'm like, why, you know, like besides, besides all the biases against Boston, like, you know, outside of a Jalen Brown's, um, opinions like it's 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 not a team that has a lot of players you want to root against you know like I love watching Jason Tatum play Al Horford still being this good at his age is so cool to watch like they've built so many good pieces together um they're an incredibly talented team and they're so much fun um but like you said you know the fact that they need their MVP playing the last 39 minutes of the game (laughs) <laughs> to beat this shorthanded Warriors team, like that's crazy. Um, that's that's really crazy to me. And I'm I'm hoping, you know, like if if this Warriors team can put it together like they did last year, you know, like we've seen that if they're healthy going into the playoffs, there's very few teams that can really compete with them out west. And I I just I I want to see this matchup again. Like a repeat of this would be so cool. That's why I said it's gonna be a rematch. Warriors Celtics are gonna be the new thing. It's no more Celtics Lakers. Like that rivalry is like who knows when the Lakers will be good again. Um I'm so glad you took us here though. Cause I do want to know what is your confidence level just in general in the Warriors making this like second half of the season push? Because I think a lot of the fan base has given up on that idea. 
and Justin and I have talked through it extensively on this podcast, but I believe I haven't agreed with all the Warriors decisions, but I do believe there are reasons for why they look like a 500 team to this point outside of that. They just don't care or this is who they are or that, you know, the starters forgot to play. Like, I don't believe any of that. I don't believe this is who they are. And I know your record is who you are, but I don't believe it's who they are. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they're, I think because now they've finally gotten everybody back except for James Wiseman that and Andre, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, you know, that this is now going to be where they're in the position, even if they're going to make a move like in the buyout market or for the trade deadline to really make that run for the latter half of the season. Um, and so what is your confidence level that they can do that? What, like, what are you thinking is going to happen? So I think, um, I mean, one, one thing that's really important to me is you've got to get yourself out of the play in like, having the whole season come down to one or two games. Um, And, you know, we saw it in like 2020, 2021, you know, even without clay, like this team was not, they weren't the contenders that we were expected, but, you know, they came in to that, like with the advantage of only needing to win one of two games. And then they lose both right at the buzzer on like a tough John Morant shot. And then LeBron hitting his, can't see the rim three, like, that's what happens when it comes down to that. You know, like you said, I have all the confidence in this, in the world of this team winning four games out of seven against just about anybody. But when it comes down to that small of a margin, like anything can happen. And we've seen anything happen. For sure. You know, I, I always say about that play-in just because of the way, of course, people try to use it against Steph is like, anybody can win a single game. Right. And I, I mm-hmm. think that if their first game would have been against a true playing team. And I think that's what people forget. The Lakers weren't, they weren't a real playing team. Right. Because they, they did go out. Yeah. That's because they got injured. Right. But they, they were that low because of things that happened and look at, look at with that depleted squad, how they played the Lakers. That's why I was always very upset that year that the Warriors didn't make any moves because I felt like they just decided once Clay Thompson was out that we can't do it. And like, you can't tell me a, a health, like not a healthy Warriors, but like if you would just got stuff like, you know, I mean, I know they went out and they got, I know, you know, the pretty boy that everyone like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> tsunami nameless, right. Kelly. Oubre, <laughs> I'm saying, I, because I keep calling people like names and they're probably like, who is she talking about? Evil Steph earlier, by the way, is Chioza, the pretty boys, Kelly Oubre. But, and, and the, the Warriors actually had had a lot of players out during those playing games. I don't know if people remember, like they weren't the greatest players, but like Eric Pascal was out. James Wiseman was out. Um, Damian Lee was out. They had been playing to that point in the season with a lot of people missing when they made that late run. But and they didn't fill roster spots, like, after they let Wanamaker go. But, like, they would have eventually saw Utah Jazz. I have every confidence in the world they would have beaten Utah Jazz in a series. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have not made it to the finals and contended, but to me, that was one of those seasons where there might have been a chance. The Suns, their first time around, inexperienced. You know, Chris Paul can say whatever he wants, but Steph lives in his head. You know, like... <laughs> I just, like, I feel like that was such a wasted season. I do. Like, it's unfortunate that that Clay was out. 
but I think it was wasted. You wasted an MVP level year from Stephen Curry, right? He finished third that year. I just, I was very disappointed with the way that was handled. And, you know, and then they showed what happens. Like, they're tired. To that point, they were tired, you know? You'd been playing with right. like barely anybody. And then you get this, like, athletic Grizzlies team who you had just beaten a few days ago to secure the eighth spot. Um and that that's how it goes. So I agree. Get out of the play-in. I don't think they're going to be a play-in team. I really think – I think the Warriors are going to finish anywhere between three and five, but I'd like them to finish, mm-hmm. you know, no, no less than four so they can at least get, like, you know, home court. Yeah, and I think the thing, too, that um, – always the underrated thing that I forget about when it comes to the playoffs is no matter your record, you secure the division – you get home court advantage in the first round. And the division is out there for the taking. Like, even though they're sitting right at 500, like, Phoenix has had their struggles. Um, I love what the Kings are doing. Like, shout out to Mike Brown. I think he should be coach of the year for what he's doing over there. Um, It's so cool to see him bring, like, some of the motion principles that he learned and apply it to, like, Sabonis and Fox, which are such a cool – dynamic pairing together um but at the same time you know it's the kings so like until they do it i won't believe them (laughs) like that's i think they're gonna make the playoffs this year i do i think they will um oh yeah i I don't think they're gonna do much if they lost like you know (laughs) 25 out of the last like 35 games and missed it would anyone be surprised like no but i I just don't see it. I think I think they're fine, and, yeah. I, and that that should be the win for them getting back to the playoffs this year. Obviously, no team is absolutely for the playoffs, but that would mean a lot to them. But I agree. Like the, I don't think the the, the Kings have locked in that number three seed. So you know, it's for the taking. You're right. It's for the taking. The Warriors can absolutely get back in there. Do you think they will get back in there? I think so. I think you know, building up. Like in terms of health, you know, I think we're still going to see Clay's probably going to be getting managed here and there. But, you know, you weathered the storm of Steph missing those games. Um, Andrew Wiggins with the longest absence of his career, uh, which is kind which of. Which coincided with Steph's time out. So you had the two of them out. Yeah. Basically, yeah. a difference in one game, um, but both 15 games. So, yeah. So I think the thing is so interesting is when you saw last season they came out firing out of the gate, you know, like winning 18 of their first 20. And then they hit a bit of a lull and then Clay comes back and they start to like get into form again. So I think what we've seen is that, you know, it's all about hitting your stride at the right time. Like if you come into the playoffs hot, you can continue that play and teams will be scared. And based, especially off the reputation they've built up, like, but it's a matter of them not being exhausted, right? How do they get there yeah, not being yeah. exhausted? How, what do you think is the path to that? That's where the depth comes into play. You know, I think you need to, like, my ideal scenario is um, I don't, you know, as, as much as I'd like to see James Wiseman get an opportunity elsewhere, like, for him as a player at this point, you yeah. know, because I don't think Golden State can give him that. I agree. Um. I think he's also kind of a really tough move to make midseason because I don't know how high teams are going to be on him right now. So I'd like to see a bit of a consolidation move where you maybe trade 
you know, Moody and Jamichael Green for like another big, um, you convert Ty Jerome to a roster spot and when you say another get big, active. When you say another big, are you saying like a real big or are you saying like a wing who can play like a big too? Oh no, I want a big big. Like okay. I I'd like to see, you know, I I think Nerwin's Noel has been on the trade market. Um Charlotte has Charlotte has a few centers That's that they're trying to get I rid of. Heard. You think he could? Yeah, no, I think it? he's he's solid at what he does. Like he impacts the glass. He's he's all right defensively. He can be a decent role man. So, you know, I think we've seen with this team, like when they bring in guys who are, you know, like especially like the Marquise Chris's of the world, like JaVale McGee, um, they can do a lot with a little from the center position because they don't really need you know, they don't need high-end scoring. They don't need all these things. Like, um, would I love them? Would I love to see them go in and get a Jakob Pertle? Like, of course. But he's also, like, you're not going to start him. Kevon Looney is the starter. Um, and if he's coming off the bench, you know, I don't know if he's quite making the impact that you're looking for. So, it you know, I think make a little depth move. It's not going to really be what his going rate is and what he wants. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like they can give it to him. So... Um, no. I think while everyone would like Pirtle, I just don't think logistically it can work out. But other names I've heard people throw out are like PJ Washington, um, mm-hmm. Kelly, um, Olenek, um, Jay Crowder. I don't know if any, I don't think the Suns will ever trade to the Warriors. So that's why I think that one no. will never happen. Um, but Neurons is a new name. I haven't heard that one. So like, thoughts on any other players outside of him yeah like I'd I'd like to see Mason Plumley. I think he would be pretty solid um I don't I don't quite know it's sort of a weird situation with the Thunder because they keep they keep bringing Mike Muscala back as like their vet like he's their vet that they love but he's quietly like still pretty good so I wonder if he's a guy that they could try to pry loose. Um, Did you see the news I've about her Jabaka? Like Toronto is going to try to just find him somewhere. Do you think there's any yeah, value that he may still have? Not really. I mean, he's just so limited as to what he used to be able to do. You know, he can't, he can't stretch the floor and, you know, make those impact roles that he used to offensively and, He's not much of a switch defender, you know, he can still kind of protect the rim, but you know, that that doesn't really strike me as what they're trying to go for. If it's just like, hey, like we got an open roster spot, he costs like a second round pick and you just got to do something, you know, I understand. But I think they should try to aim their sights a little higher because there are some guys out there who can contribute. Um I don't think like my ideal package honestly was if the thunder are willing to part with Mascala and Kenrich Williams I am all over that because they need infectious hustle guys but guys who do the right thing and that is what Kenrich is like he's all over the place he's such a good defender he can space the floor but he's also not you know he's not over rotating he's not making mistakes that are going to kill you um so guys like that you know I love the PJ deal too like I think he's He's a really, really good switch defender. Um, he can do some things offensively, and he also impacts the glass despite not being, you know, like a true big. So 
there are moves out there. Um, you know, I think we've established with this team, like you don't need to make the big shakeup. You just need to sort of reinforce what you already have. Right. And I think, I think there are plenty of options out there for that. Yeah, I really only think they're like a piece away in terms of showing up their depth. So I agree that they doesn't need to be a big shakeup, but I would prefer that they get someone than not. So, and I just don't think, I don't think it's someone existing currently on the roster. So we will see. It's not like the Warriors to really do things like during the season. So this would be a change Mm -hmm. for them. So we will see. Charlie, it's been such a pleasure having you on. (laughs) Even when I want to keep it short, I cannot because like <laughs> I want to just pick your brain and talk to you. I, I love this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today. Of course. Yeah. And we'll have to do it again when Justin's on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, guys, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please make sure you you check out Charlie. He's great. We already told you the handle is at ClayThis11. Um, anything coming out that we should be looking out for on the radar for? Yeah, um, it's getting that time towards the end of the month. So I've been doing my uh, check-ins on all the Warriors rookie scale guys, just seeing where they're at sort of developmentally. Um, it was a huge December for them. So I'm excited to see how that follows up uh, through the tape um, through the end of this month. Um, but yeah, probably in about, Week, week and a half, I'll have another one of those coming out. And where can they find that? You can find that at Swish Theory on Twitter or theswishtheory.com. There you go. So check it out <laughs> and um, subscribe to his pod. Give them the information for the pod, please. Yes, ma'am. At Game 6 Clay Pod, check it out. We're usually doing about one episode a week. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, find us on Spotify, Apple, all your good podcast places. Um, yeah, I love my guys on there. (laughs) Listen, guys, check it out. Support up and coming content creators. It may not seem like that big of a deal, but the subscribe or following really helps us out a lot. And then if you really like the content, leave a comment, write a review, give a rating. Um, we understand that there's so much content out there for you to choose from and you can't listen to each person, but that little Mm -hmm. thing helps us out so much um we're all just out here trying to do our best so we appreciate you you can tell from this conversation you're not going to be disappointed with anything charlie's putting out so thank you for (laughs) tuning in um we will be back after the 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 next game but until next time you know what to do subscribe follow share everything i just said um it's charlie and nat signing off for the last time for golden spaces and odyssey original podcast take care Bye-bye.